Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you and good night. I love you.
Uh, Iri Sparrow will be calling in, which we're very excited to talk to him. Um, entrepreneur, a public speaker, activist, and popular talk show host Josh Bernstein will be calling in. Um, leaders of Blacks for Trump will be calling in. And as always, our other co-host, Josh Halabate, will be on the line shortly. Um, a lot of breaking news, a lot of headlines. I do have to get to my first guest because he is patiently waiting. Um, I, I do want to welcome to the show a uh, very special guest. Um, he is a very popular guy. Uh, I have um, Rabbi Spiro on the line. He is a Middle East observer. Uh, he's America's rabbi, first rabbi to ever endorse Ronald Reagan, Middle East observer, historian, political analysis, public speaker, and best-selling author. How are you, sir? Great to have you on. Oh, it's very good to be with you out there. Where in Arizona? We're in. I'm in. I'm in Phoenix. Um, uh, one, one of my co-hosts is on is in Washington D.C. And then I have another co-host in Ohio as well. So we're all over the place. But I mean, it's my it's my main show. So yeah, but I, I my studio's out of Phoenix. Fantastic. Yeah. So um, wow. But you know, you've led. Some life, I tell you. And just correct me if I'm wrong. You're in New York, correct? Uh, yeah, we uh, we we were in uh, we're in Long Island, and uh, but we've been around. I'm originally from Ohio. Yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I read that. Uh, like the Cleveland area, right? That's right. Right. Excellent. Very cool. So, first and foremost, you know, like I, it's your first time on the show. You're a very impressive guy. Uh, you know, very, uh, you know, profound background. You've done a lot in your life. You've been very successful. Um, you know, start where it all began. You know, start, um, you know, tell us the whole history, your resume. You know, uh, I, I love to hear that. You know, the, this year, your auto bio, you know, just the the, uh, the summary of how it all, you know, went down. Well, what's great about this country is if you try hard enough, there are opportunities that are available, and you just have to find a niche. Now, my particular passion uh, happens to be the, uh, the, the Judeo-Christian view uh, that founded this country, and it's aligned so, so deeply with the biblical view in the Old Testament. And so I was able to put together the two interests of my life, Judaism, I'm a rabbi, and the other, of course, America, American history and what makes America so profound and, and, and wonderful. And it happens to be that those two things, the, the Bible and the Judeo-Christian ethos, which was the, uh, these are the founding principles of our country. This is what has made our country successful and so unique. Well, they're in sync. Yeah. So uh, for me, what I, what I really couldn't get over is how if you pursue this and you believe in it and you have a passion, and you go to Washington, D.C., eventually you meet all types of people, and people are open uh, to meeting you, to hearing what you have to say. And as they only in America could someone just from Cleveland, Ohio, just a regular fella, uh, but with a passion, be able to get so close to uh, people that are in charge of the country and advise them or try to provide guidance or just give an opinion. And that's the greatness of America. It works in other areas, too, if you have an idea, a concept and you're willing to work hard and, and provide good service and things of that nature, you'll be successful. Absolutely. And, you know, you know how, how it all started for you, you know, 
tell everybody, you know, about your education. You know, you, you went to a very prestigious, very great school. Uh, you you have amazing degrees. You've, uh, you know, worked with a lot of big names, and you, you've, uh, you know, had a lot of success in, in different industries, and, you know, you've been heavily involved with uh, a lot of history, uh, you know, stuff. I mean, there's so much there. Well, let me tell you the truth. As far as colleges, I went to John Carroll University in Cleveland. I also went to rabbinical college in Cleveland, a very good rabbinical college. But I didn't go yeah. to an Ivy League college. And um, I didn't start out with, 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 with tremendous bloodlines and family connections. And I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't go to Harvard or Yale or Dartmouth. None of those. But it was just on my own, hard work, reading, thinking, pondering, taking the time to think through concepts and kind of like weld your, your mind and your heart together. Uh, you don't have to go to, to the best universities. You don't have to be born to a certain bloodline and have certain connections. If you really believe in your ideas and you give them good thought and you try to always improve your vocabulary, always try to improve your, the verbiage that comes out of your mouth and your phraseology and, and, and sentence construction and work on your writing, uh, that's what does it. You, you, I, I, think, I think success depends upon um, what you strive for and uh, the amount of passion you have something and the, the endless quest, you know, not to give up. You don't have to have connections. You don't have to have a No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I mean, and for somebody today and today, for somebody to, to say in today's society that they went to Harvard, um, you know, it doesn't really mean anything anymore in a lot of aspects. I mean, it's, I mean, if you look at, you know, their curriculum and everything, you know, they stand for and, and what they've come to with their leftist agenda and their evil, uh, you know, uh, guidelines and, and, and curriculum. And it, it, there's just, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, aren't good about. I mean, it, it's really gone downhill, just as a, a lot of these other liberal uh, colleges have, because of you know all of the uh, corruption and the uh, ignorance uh, of te- the, the, the teaching lessons they give. Well, generally, whatever liberalism touches is eventually destroys, because liberalism uh, doesn't believe in standards. It says that anything that makes you feel good. Do it, and not only that, we'll sanctify it, we'll glorify it, we'll attach to it some type of uh, ism. You can call it civil rights or whatever human rights. When when a lot of it is just unbridled, um, uncontrollable uh, temptations and things of that nature, and a lot of it is hedonism. But whatever liberalism generally touches, it destroys. It destroys entertainment, brings a low level of entertainment. It destroys uh, literature. Uh, it's destroyed many of the colleges. It's even destroying some of the law because people are not judging judges. Liberal judges are not judging based on uh, law and standards and, 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 and uh, legal criteria, but, what, but by emotion, by social engineering. Well, that lowers the standard. Social engineering and emotion cannot uh, reach the level of, of, of scholastic uh, legal inquiry or decision-making. Uh, as far as the, the colleges... You know, that's a good question. A lot of us were raised to believe that if we send our kids to good colleges, uh, they'll end up having a nice, broad, well-rounded education, and they'll get a good job. 
but also mainly because he wanted them to have a uh, have a rich background. But we're all rethinking that now because you're sending your kids quite often to a cesspool. And everything that you love, if you love your religion, if you love your uh, your country or, or, or certain um, traditions, it's all going to be yes. destroyed there purposely by people that are trying to brainwash your kids and make them into little Leninists and little socialists and hedonists. So it, it's a very good question. It's, it's something that we have to think of. Uh, uh, what price, what risk are we willing to take with our children, with their souls, their minds, and our, and our grandchildren, our future grandchildren, what risk are we willing to take for the sake of a of a certain type of a degree or a certain type of a, a connection to a college? It's a serious question we all have to ask. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, you know, and here's the thing in today's society, in so many aspects. I mean, you have a lot of these college uh, kids with degrees, and they can't even find, they can't even get a job, and a lot of times they're working under people with high school diplomas that have been owning their own companies since the 70s or 80s. I mean, you know, there's, there's different things that, you know, uh, people get, get misled uh, by and, and mis kind of construed. Um, you know, people, some people think you need a college degree to, you know, become very successful. And if you look at uh, past history and the millionaires and billionaires, most of them dropped out of college and barely graduated high school. If you look at a lot of history, I mean, you know, not a lot of them have uh, – I mean, there's, there's a lot of them that don't have college degrees. I mean, you, you look at all these different examples, um, it, it really uh, just person's mind. And I, there's so many brilliant people in this country uh, that have so much opportunity and that just don't want to go to school to learn the, the basics, but they'd rather learn a trade that they're really good at and I, I like what's happening with Trump and the education system that's working around him. They want to open more trade schools for people that have all these different talents, um, you know, because I see – I just see all these entrepreneurs that don't necessarily go to college, but they start making a fortune because they build a brilliant app or they build a brilliant clothing line or they build a brilliant uh, – you know, software device. I mean, there's so many different things in today's society where you can become a millionaire. Network marketing. I mean, you've got all these different uh, loopholes and, and lists of things which you didn't necessarily have back then, I guess. It, you know, certain people didn't have back in those days. But it, it's, it's crazy how many people can be self-employed these days. You know, if you go to college and you're going to take gender studies, or, or and look at like real, real quick though, real real quick. Look at all the people that leave college and can barely find a job to support their living habits and are in all this debt. Think about that. That's right. Their parents are in debt. They're in debt. They can't get a a, a head start or a springboard because they're so laden with debt. Many of them took the wrong studies. And uh, but it is true. A lot of our great people. If it was the uh, Carnegie, who, who really started the whole steel business. Uh, I don't know if he had a college education. I don't know uh, if Henry Ford did. I don't even know what the story was really with Thomas Edison. Now, I think it's good to have a college education. It's good for, for a couple of reasons. I think for a kid, finally, after he's 18, he leaves the house. Good for him to be on his own, but not to be thrust immediately into the uh, to the work world, but it's good to be on his own. Uh, maybe right. study some things that are interesting, but I don't think that we should put a, a person's entire pedigree, the stock of his value, 
uh, certainly not his character based on where he goes to college. And uh, besides things of, of networking, many of the service industries, if you, if you have a plumbing business, an electric, uh, electric business, these are great businesses. If you can learn a trade yeah. like that, and then yeah. eventually uh, as you get bigger, you, you hire men, um, it can be terrific. Uh, the answer is not always with college, and it doesn't have to be uh, a particular college. Right, and, and here, here's, the, here's the thing. I mean, I, I want to let my co-hosts and, and other guests respond, but, you know, with, with this whole scenario and with, with this whole, uh, you know, college thing, like I said, you know, you have all of these people that graduate college, and I think there was a big poll that came out that a lot of them can't even get a job to support themselves. I mean, there's and there's all these other creative entrepreneurs that never even went to college, and they're making a fortune. I mean, there's so many different instances. It just goes to show that college isn't the answer for for everybody. It's not the be all and end all, but it's important, I guess, for for the average kid right. who's not going to be a Bill Gates, uh, and he right. and he might be asked. If you're going to be although a doctor, I have to tell you, you're right gonna, now, yeah, yeah. Right, right now, if you go to different manufacturers, what they're looking for is not even college. They're looking for someone who's going right. to show up every day, be responsible, right. be there every day, someone who's willing to learn. Right. Uh, a task and cooperate and work with other people. And if you can do that, you can get hired in so many manufacturing facilities. And look, and look how dangerous the college ideology is these days of what they're teaching these kids. I mean, it's like, what's the point? What's the point? I mean, it's not even real ideology. 80%, uh, there was a poll, 80% of professors on college campuses in the United States are liberal leftist communists, like Marxism. I mean, they're teaching these kids all the wrong things. So when these kids graduate college, no wonder why we have so many fuck-ups in the streets protesting and rambling on and, 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 you know, spewing all this gibberish and garbage about wanting socialism and wanting all of this free stuff and entitlement and shit handled. It's really getting out of control. Well, they've been poisoned. A lot of these professors, first of all, a lot of it is, is, is jealousy. In their mind, they think they're smarter than everybody else, and they don't believe in the American system where that farmer in Iowa or somebody in Oshkosh has just as much right to determine the destiny of America than they. You know, their vote is one vote. That's it. No more. And the and the farmer yeah. in Iowa is one vote. And they really think right. that they should be running the country. Like in the communist countries, they would get together and right. they would make these five-year plans. So the whole idea of America, of real equality, where everybody is equal in deciding the fate of the country through their vote, through their representation – well, they abhor that. So, they, so they, they start out with a jealousy and an anger against America, so they poison all these kids to be against the greatest country, the most blessed country in the world. There's nothing like America. Nothing has ever been like America. Even under, yeah. under uh, King David and King Solomon, Israel wasn't as good as America. And they poison right. these kids because these are jealous little professors. Right. And I see, I see so many kids, whether they're in college or not, and, and just young people, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm 27 years old. I'm, I'm well, uh, you know, out of that stage of, uh, of the, you know, that sort of youth level. But I see all these young people, and they have all of this talent and all of this, you know, all of, this cre- all of these creative ideas. And sometimes they're not put uh, with the proper uh, guidance or leadership around them. And, and we live in the most – you know, privileged and, uh, you know, well, uh, well orchestrated country. I mean, there's no country like 
the United States. I mean, we, the American dream exists for a reason. And, you know, the more we coach and teach uh, all these people with talent, uh, the more we, you know, can benefit. Because, you know, it just, it's just like when I explain, you know, somebody makes one technology device, one technology software or an app, and it can help millions of people. One person can make a difference for millions of people. And you look at all of these people that some people don't even know about that perhaps have all the talent in the world. I mean, there's just so, there's just some so much there. Some of these are doing to these kids, they're, they're making them feel like they're victims, like they've been oppressed, and that their only way is to overthrow the system, to hate their country, to hate their countrymen, and to overthrow the system, and all this, this, this crap talk about white privilege and all of these things. They're trying to sow discontent into these young minds, these young yep. souls, tell them that yep. they've been uh, oppressed, that they're victims, uh, where yep. it should be just the opposite. A lot of these professors are jealous fellows. Uh, they have tremendous egos. They think they're better than everybody else, and um, they, they, they can't stand that other people were successful. They think that they should be successful because they're smarter. Uh, maybe they have some book smarts. But that, doesn't, that does not mean they have street smarts or, or common sense. And they're, they're spoiling generations, millions upon millions, and making them feel that they're victims instead of teaching them, hey, listen, this is a land of opportunity. Well, they're telling them that they have no opportunity. Unless you're a white male, you're privileged. Unless you're that, you have no opportunity, which is baloney. Um, but that's, uh, so parents have to, be, have to know beforehand what they're doing when they're sending their kids. It's not the elixir. It's not the magic potions that everybody thinks. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, well, well said, 100%. And and when people use the term white privilege, you know, it's such a racist, racist term, and it's so massively ignorant. Like it doesn't get any more ignorant than that. And it, you know, imagine if if there was something called White Lives Matter that marched in the street. Because if you really look at some of these Black Lives Matter groups and these feminists. Uh, they're so gross. They're ugh. I can't stand them. I mean, they're just there. Well, some of them are uh, bigots. A lot of people in the Black Lives Matters movement, right. they hate white right. people. They're outside. They're, yeah. they're, they're bigots. There are yeah. many people today in what is called the feminist movement, and, they and get, although they're yeah, not really they feminists, and they right. hate men. They're they're haters. Yeah, and they don't even get called out. But we white Christian conservatives well, we should call always them out. get well, called that's, out. We should call them out. The left isn't going to call them out because the left is on their side. They are the left. The left is them. It's up to us to call them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're haters. They're bigots. I mean, they many have, people on the left today are bigots. They hate men. They hate white people. That's racism. Uh, they, 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 they hate their religious Christians. They hate evangelicals. They hate Orthodox Jews. They hate patriots. They, you know, they're, they're, they're full of hate, full of rage, full of bigotry. Valerie, I want you to respond. Go ahead. Thanks, Rory. Um, I agree, um, you know, with what you're saying. And I think the problem is that we're teaching our children uh, to put people in boxes. You know, you are this, you are that. You know, we're all Americans. Uh, you know, or, or we're hopefully, <laughs> those that I'm speaking about, we're, we're all Americans that want our country to, to be successful. And I think if we, if, we go, if we could change the attitude to we're all on the same side, we all want to be successful, how can we help each other? Um, I know I'm living in a dream world, but that should be our, um, our goal. And it seems that our, you know, but it's not. What, what it seems to me is that it's resist 
you know, the other guy, you know, try to destroy the other guy, whatever means necessary so that we can win, whatever side that is. And it's really, you know, these are the adults that are teaching our next generation these kinds of tactics and strategies. And it's dangerous, it's sad, it's scary, and it's certainly far from, you know, where we came with the first, you know, with the Old and New Testament. And I do want to mention, I do do want to mention something real quick, Rabbi. You were the very first rabbi to endorse Ronald Reagan. Valerie used to work for Ronald Reagan. Oh, really? (laughs) That's wonderful. Did you, did you, did you work in the West Wing or did you work in the office across the street? I worked in the East Wing, and we also had an office in the West Wing. I was in legislative affairs, so our office was right next to Nancy um, next to Nancy Reagan's office in the East Wing, and then we also had one um, right above the Oval in the West Wing. Oh, wonderful, wonderful! Did, were, you, mm-hmm. you were there during Ed Meese's time. I was Attorney yes. General Ed Meese. Yes, and actually, he's been speaking. He's um, there was there was an event last a week and a half ago. Um, about um, Ronald Reagan and the Pope and how they worked together and what their friendship was like, and Ed Meese spoke at that event. Ed Meese is, is a wonderful fellow. During the, the campaign, when Reagan was running and he came to Cleveland, so I, uh, I picked up Ed Meese and uh, a fellow named Richard Allen and General Haig, and we, we, uh, we picked them up at the uh, it was a train station. And then we had a very nice event, and eventually Reagan won, which was great. It was just wonderful. Um, and yeah. you said you, you had an event. He spoke about a week and a half ago. And what was the event again? Ah. The event was in D.C. here, where I live. Um, and it was about um, the, the relationship between Ronald Reagan and the Pope at the time and how they worked together to um, bring down the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was a very unique time in history. You had Margaret Thatcher in England. You had Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan in the United States. You had Pope John Paul as the the Pope, uh, head of the Catholic world. And you also had Menachem Begin in Israel. And you had um, uh, Helmut Kohl in Germany. I don't think there was ever a time in history where – in unison, you had real, passionate, believing, articulate conservatives like you had at that time. Reagan, yeah. Reagan, Thatcher, the Pope, Helmut Kohl, the entire Western world. Uh, and that's why we made a, a tremendous progress. It was, a, it was a great era of transformation. And then, of course, but uh, 20, 30 years later, when uh, Obama came in, uh, <laughs> then worst the president were, in history. By far, he oh, made no, Jimmy Carter no look like a saint. There's, there's no, no, no he question. Jimmy I mean, Carter look like a we saint. We had presidents I mean, that were Carter weak and maybe worst. incompetent, but what makes what makes Obama the worst president? We've had people that were incompetent, maybe some people that were corrupt. They were weak, <laughs> yeah. but he was the worst because he didn't believe in the country he was elected to lead. He wanted to change it. He wanted to right. internally right. transform it and make it into some socialist European country with a tinge of, <laughs> of Islamicism there. The it was, but, it was terrible. Rabbi, I've always wondered. I've always wondered what. Why do you think so many Jews voted for Obama the second time around after we knew who he was? Um, you know, I, I've always wondered. You know, I understand politics sometimes comes first before religion, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, Valerie, uh, unfortunately, 
uh, a majority of Jews do not vote based on what is good for the Jewish people. They vote on what is good for liberalism. For many of them, liberalism is more important to them than Judaism. It's more important to them than than America. It's liberalism. And and you're absolutely right. And you brought up a good point. I want to just chime in real quick. It it blows my mind how the Jewish community votes for – you know, a political ideology that killed millions of their people. They're, they're voting for communism. Bernie Sanders, all of this left-wing agenda, this is what killed millions of their people in the, in the, with Hitler and all this stuff. What did Hitler do before he killed millions of Jews? He took all their guns. I mean, this is, this is all part of the playbook. Yeah, but see, the American Jews think that they're going to uh, have a socialism or a universalism or a globalism that's going to be better, that somehow they're going to be able to erect, uh, they're, like you have this erector set, they're going to be able to put the parts together in a way that uh, will be different than the past. But uh, that, that's a big, um, a big malady in the Jewish community. Uh, many of them, they're really universalists. There are a couple of reasons. They think that their safety lies in universalism. And um, so they're universalists, which ends up, uh, they won't admit it, but it really ends up to be a type of, 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 of uh, communism or socialism. And they believe in social engineering. They think that they're going to be safer if they can social engineer many aspects of society. Somehow they'll be protected. But uh, as I always say, the easiest definition of socialism is just simply social engineering. Those that want right. to social engineer every aspect of life, that's what socialism is about. They think that will protect them, but it won't. And um, yeah, it's 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 a heartbreak that they vote that way, right? And well, I do. Let me just give an example. Yeah, Valerie, go ahead, and then I do want to get to other some other people have some questions. Go ahead, Valerie. It makes no sense to me because those were the countries that they were escaping from. Jews that came from Eastern Europe and Poland and Soviet Union; those were all the communist, socialist, totalitarian countries that they were leaving so that they could live their lives to come here and, and want more of the same makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. Well, maybe they've come here to, uh, to, to, to uh, impose their view of how life should be lived, which is not what America is about. Nobody should think right. that they're smarter or better, that they're somehow so morally superior or intellectually superior that they can impose from on high how life should be led by everybody else. That's not what America is. Everybody in America is supposed to be allowed to do what they do, do their thing, and when you put that all together, everybody doing the best they can do for their own self-interest, not selfishness, but self-interest. There's a difference between selfishness and self-interest. Then you have a right. great country. Right. And Rabbi, Rabbi Spiro, you know, you're, you're known as America's rabbi. I mean, you're a, you're a very famous, very famous guy, uh, all you know, one of the you made headlines when you were one of the first. Well, you actually were the very first rabbi to endorse Reagan uh, back in the '80s. And you know, you've been writing you know books and and for many different big media outlets for many years. Uh, you, you've been very involved with writing about the Middle East. Uh, you know, writing about different um, you know scenarios that are going on um, you know around the world as well. Uh, you've also done a lot of public speaking. So you know, it, it's it's very impressive. Um, but uh, I do – I know Dan Perkins uh, – go ahead, Dan. I know you have a lot of thoughts. Well, I, there was, there's uh, lots of uh, material that, that is there to, to discuss. 
Um, yeah. Let me just let me just take a piece and of for, it at a time. For Look. anybody, for anybody uh, that doesn't know, Dan Perkins writes for a lot of the big newspapers. You can find all his stuff at danperkins.guru. Um, he's a, a very well-known guy. You can look him up online and all his work. He's a businessman, natural oil and gas investor, uh, motivational speaker, best-selling author, you name it, man. And it's always a pleasure having you on, Dan. But uh, your thoughts? Sure. Thank you. Uh, I want to go back to the, to the rabbi. Um, I have four sons that went through um, private colleges in the United States. And um, – I used to write many, many decades ago, I wrote the Money Wise column for Entrepreneur Magazine. And yeah. I wrote for five years. And the one column that I wrote that got the most response of anything that was ever written in the history of the magazine, I raised the rhetorical question, was college worth the money? Mm-hmm. And we look right now, I'm sure you know this, Rabbi. In order to complete a four-year degree in a college in the United States, most students are now taking six years to complete four years. When you look at the amount of money that it costs to send a child to college, the amount of debt one, either the child or the parents or both come out of school with almost can never be paid back at, at the kinds of money. In addition... Um, I, I have a radio syndicated radio show on small business, and I was meeting, doing an interview with a guy who's a recruiter, and he said, if you're a small business and you're thinking about hiring somebody from college, if their degree has the word studies in it, don't hire right. them right, because right, they'll, right. they'll not be able they'll not be able to do anything for you. Now, as it relates to the the Jewish issue, um, and why, as, as Valerie was raising the question, she doesn't understand why they will put their their political philosophy ahead of their religion. Uh, it's it's been that way for a long time in the United States. The the Jewish, by and large, the Jewish population tends to be liberal, tends to be Democrat, and. Um, and believes that uh, the government should uh, should be the arbiter of all things, and they continue to believe that today, whether you call it globalism or popularism or whatever you what kind of ism you want to put on it. Uh, what what I see is that that uh, they're 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 big government people. Um, they want the government. They believe that the government has to take control of everybody's life. And the government has to decide what needs to be done. And that's apparent, abhorrent to most Americans today uh, because they, they think that we still have an opportunity. Your discussion about trade schools and, and, the, and the income that electricians and plumbers and carpenters and roofers and sheet metal workers can make is only going to get even more uh, demanding as the economy continues to expand and there are more and more need for service jobs than there are for college professors. Uh, the I other mean, thing more, is, uh, yeah, go ahead. I just I just want to add one more thing for you. Um, yeah, yeah. I as, as a father of four who went to college and I saw what happened to the tuition rates at these four universities that my sons went to, I couldn't I, I couldn't understand how they could be 
raising the cost, the fees, and the tuition at these universities have multiples of the inflation rate in our economy. So I began to take my business acumen and 45 years' experience as a money manager and analyzing corporations to take a look at some of the largest universities in the United States and how they spent money. Approximately 75 to 80% of the operating budget of major colleges and universities in the United States is spent on salary and benefits. Uh-huh. Yep. Not to, necess- not to improve the quality of education because of the union contracts and the benefits they have to fund for pension and retirement systems, eight, 75 to 80% of every dollar brought in goes to pay operating overhead of salary and benefits. That only leaves them 20 to 25% of every dollar to come in and run the rest of the university. So that's why they have to keep raising prices is because they have these teachers that have these contracts and benefits that are outlandish. And these teachers uh, as a who result, are preaching socialism, these teachers who are preaching exactly. socialism, and yet they, yes. they, live the, they, they live the most spoiled life. Uh, yeah. They get these automatic raises. They earn Six far figures. more than other people, and they have these, these, these benefits. And they have this. They have. They live the life. Many of them, like like an eighteen and nineteen year old who's still at home. Everything is taken care of, and they're right. preaching the socialism. But another reason right. that the, the schools can do this is because the government funds it. The government is available to give loans to everybody. So, right. What's happening is it, these colleges could, could raise the tuition rates to take care of all of their pampered professors who are spouting communism and how terrible the the society is. Although they live so pampered. But they're able to do it because no one has a problem. Don't worry. The government will fund it. It's a low rate. They'll take care of it. Maybe they'll even forgive the loan in a few years. And uh, if there wasn't all the government loans for colleges, the colleges could not raise the tuition the way they do. And that's where it gets dangerous when, when you mix politics with education like I was talking about earlier. And that's what our society has turned into these last few, you know, last few years. I mean, this wasn't so much an issue, you know, uh, you know, as much of it as years ago, as much of it is to as much as, as it is today. I mean, it's really evolved into a, an evil epidemic cesspool. Uh, but Dan, you wanted to respond. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just, I this is just a couple other, uh, a couple other factoids. Uh, when my number three son went to Temple University in orientation, in Philadelphia. And he, he came in Philadelphia. He came out to me afterwards and he said, "Dad, this is, was amazing. I'm sitting in the room, and the person who was in charge of orientation says to us, "Look to your left and look to you right. Two of you will not graduate from college. I don't know which ones it's going to be, but two out of every three are not going to make it. So we have we have students." who go to college, who in many cases are ill-equipped emotionally and psychologically to stay in college, uh, are, are borrowing huge sums of money and walk away. They leave school. The debt doesn't leave. They now have debt for the rest of their life, and they don't have a college degree. The other thing that I would make is a, is a, a, a point. As a result of the 2008 crisis, the, the, the Great Recession, Harvard University, and uh, Rabbi, you may have heard this, Harvard University was asked almost the rhetorical question, 
does Harvard University need to teach an ethics course to their students? <laughs> Do we need to wow. teach an ethics course? An ethics course at what is one, was one of the most prestigious universities in the world, much less the United States. They're asking the question, should we teach ethics? What happened that we don't teach ethics? Why did we decide? Well, I wouldn't we want my to kid taught them ethics them? by them. I think ethics should be taught, <laughs> but I would not want my kid taught ethics by a lot of the professors at Harvard or some of the other professors, because we would have a diametrically opposed definition of what is ethical, what is moral. Uh, to them, moral and ethical is that which produces socialism is, is moral and ethical. That which uh, mm-hmm. produces the multicultural society is moral and ethical. One of the differences between liberals and conservatives is conservatives still have an objective uh, perspective on what is right, what is wrong. Classical uh, uh, definitions of this is right, this is wrong. The left doesn't have that. The left, it's very subjective. Whatever will produce the socialist state, the, the, the across the board, what they call the egalitarian state, the multicultural state, the citizen of the world state, that is ethical and moral. And moral. Uh, we don't believe that. We, we, we don't believe that the, that the uh, means are, are justified by the end, that, that certain things that are wrong no matter what. It's, it's like you see this all over. Uh, you have Hillary Clinton the other day saying that what her husband did, Bill Clinton, to Monica Lewinsky, a 22-year-old who was entrusted Great. to him, who was an intern, that was okay. Why? Because, yeah. listen, whatever is, is needed for – the same standard. thing with Castro. It's more than double standard. It's, it's yeah. Like with Ca- Ca- Castro used to – bed down women left and right every day. And, and, and yeah. we, some of these women were waiting in line to be the next uh, the, the, the next paramour of, uh, of Castro. Whatever is <laughs> right. needed to help the left-wing linger, uh, leader implement leftism and communism and socialism, that yeah. to them is a good. Yeah. Uh, Josh, so let go me, ahead. Let me ask you. Oh, go ahead, let me, just Let me ask it. Roy, can I just ask the rabbi one more question, and I'll be quiet? Yeah, and then, yeah, then, then I'm going to Josh. Yeah, but go ahead, Dan. Okay, so this is a this is a a really I'll, I'll give you up front, Rabbi, a very loaded question, so you have a chance to think about it. So, Rabbi, what would you change, and how would you do it? Good question. I like that question. Good, good question. What would I change? I would go back and to how would you the do founding it? principles of the country. What would I do? How do you do I would, that? I would pray that we would have a thousand Donald Trumps. Who fight, 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 <laughs> like, like he did with Kavanaugh. Any any Republican president, yeah. except for Trump, would have given in and said, "Listen, I don't want this." And they would have thrown Kavanaugh to the wolves and said, "Listen, you're a nice fellow. We we tried, but it didn't work out." If we had a thousand Donald Trumps and we had a thousand people with great conviction uh, fighting for us all the time, we wouldn't have to have change. What we do is we would be living according to the principles that made this country great. Personal responsibility. But Rabbi, where are you going to? You can't find a thousand Donald Trumps. There's only one Donald Trump. Well, so there's only if, one if Donald that, Trump. That is, that's if, true. But you could have a thousand so fighters. If you, well, okay, yeah, but, if you had a thousand if, David if, Nunez and Jim Jordans and, and people like that, yeah, but all let, across the country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, you know, I I want to get to say something about that real quick though. Donald Trump is something we have never seen before. He is like a profound machine uh, that is something from another universe, from another planet. I mean, 
he is like the second coming. Um, I mean, he is something that is un- – we've never seen a human like this. I mean, I've never – if you can name one human that's ever done what Donald Trump has done, I mean, you can't. I mean, this guy could walk on water. I mean, this guy could do anything. This guy saved America. This guy, America, in a place like never seen before. We are living in a magical kingdom. We are living in, in the best economy ever, ever. I mean, this is, this is uh, I jump up and down every day. Every day I wake up, I get on my knees, and I pray, thank you, God. It's like Christmas. Donald Trump is president. I mean, this is the, and I can't wait every time until he says something next. I always want to hear what he has to say next. Like, you can never get enough of him. He's, he's like a drug. He's like caffeine. Like, you always want more. Like, he, he's so, oh, my God. I just, I love the guy. I love everything about him. I mean, he is America's savior. He is the savior. Um, but, uh, Josh, go ahead. Uh, I, I know you have thoughts. And then I'm going to get to uh, Dr. Michael Bussler. But, please, um, I, I do want to ask you something very important, Rabbi, uh, shortly. Yeah, you know, just uh, just real quick because I don't want to take up much time here, and I apologize for coming in late. Um, but, no worries, you know, just good. to touch on Josh just out to of touch Ohio, on everybody. This, thanks, you, Rory. Uh, you know, just to touch on a situation talked about early about you know the school system, specifically colleges, and why the way you know why they are the way that they are. I, it, it's really simple. The government's involved. That's why it doesn't work. You name one industry that the government has its hands on where it works better than when it didn't have their hands on it. When the free market is, is crushed and, and, and held down by a government, no matter if the government has good intentions or bad intentions, it, it, it does not prosper the way it should. Laissez-faire. Whenever the government is restricting free competition, this is what's going to happen. So prices of these degrees continue to rise. Terrible degrees that no one really wants uh, sprout up because it doesn't matter what the business owner, you know, wants to, they want to hire. It doesn't matter how much it costs to get this education. It doesn't matter, you know, how many jobs are going to be out there when they finish with that degree. It just matters if that degree is there and whether or not that college is going to get their government funding from, for having that student participate in whatever that degree is. When the government's involved, it doesn't work as well. I agree with you. Um, but, you know, a lot of these are private colleges, private universities that are just as bad. In fact, they're taking Saudi Arabia's money, $20 million a year, many of the Ivy League schools. And they're some of the worst, at, you know, they, they're being bought off. And, and, you know, and even in the Middle Eastern studies, you know, they're being brainwashed, as the rabbi was saying. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. I tell my kids, you know, stamp the card, get your degree, get out, and don't yeah. listen to what they're telling you. Because right. I don't want my right. kids to be brainwashed the opposite way that I raised them. R- rabbi, rabbi, stand by. I do want to welcome our next, our next special guest who uh, I know has uh, many questions for you. Very, very popular guy. Very smart guy, economist, entrepreneur, motivational speaker, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, LiveZet, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey. Dr. Michael Bussler, how are you, sir? 
I'm doing very well, Rory. And uh, let me start off by saying um, I understand the position everybody was uh, taking, especially with regard to uh, colleges and uh, college graduates. Let, let me just give you um, another side of that of that argument, though. Uh, so, and um, I, I've said on the show numerous times how, uh, and since economics is my field, uh, how poor economic growth for the last couple of decades has caused a lot of severe problems. Recall, um, prior to Donald Trump, we didn't have 3% annual economic growth since the year 2005, and we haven't had 4% annual growth since the year 2000. Now, as a result of that slow-growth economy, I have a bunch of my students graduating. There are very few opportunities available to them because the economy is not growing, the result is um, they're lucky to get one good job offer, and many of them are forced to take jobs for which you don't need a college degree. So you right. start hearing people saying, well, why did we just uh, go through all this to get a college degree? The average student today graduates with about $32,000 worth of debt. So why did I go through that? Why did I uh, accumulate all this debt and I end up with a job uh, that I didn't need the degree for. Uh, so you hear people saying there, um, there's no reason to go to college. There are other things you, you can do. Uh, and you start to see people and college enrollments start to um, go down as a result of that. Uh, now, now that Trump has turned the economy around, though, and uh, as you probably know, there are, are now um, almost a million more job openings than we have unemployed people. Um, as a result of that, you're seeing a lot of college graduates who are underemployed, took jobs they didn't need a degree for, underemployed, now finding opportunities that will uh, utilize the uh, education that they have. Um, and uh, further, uh, since they're moving out of those jobs, um, that jobs they had where they didn't need a degree, all these discouraged workers that dropped out of the labor force because they had no opportunity are coming back in, into the for labor force. Um, if you take a look at um, the investment you make in college and the return that you get, um, I've always said and I continue to say uh, education, investments in human capital, we say education is the best investment you can make. I, too, had three, three kids who went to uh, very expensive um, private uh, colleges, universities, um, and, uh, you know, it cost me uh, a big sum of money, especially by the time they were done. Uh, the last one graduated in 2012. Um, you know, the annual cost to go to college was uh, approaching $100,000 a year. So these were very, very expensive. And I see what they're doing now. And um, every penny that we spent on college was absolutely worth it. Um, they take, they're taking full uh, advantage of what they did learn. Uh, they're applying it in different fields, some in, in fields they really didn't study for, uh, but they got a very broad-based education. And the most important thing is they learned critical thinking skills. So now they uh, go out into the workforce, apply those skills, and they've been successful. Uh, Dan's right um, that a, a large percentage of graduates are now taking six years to graduate rather than four or even five. Um, now, personally, I, I know that's expensive to do, but um, I, 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 it may not be such a bad idea. 
I mean, there are some people, and the reason is simple. There are some people that, uh, you know, you're 18 years old, and uh, your parents say, okay, you have to go to college. I know with me, you know, uh, uh, my father said, okay, you're graduating, you have to go to college. I'm the first generation, first of my generation to go. I said, okay, well, what do I go to college for? He said, well, you're getting an A in math, become an engineer. I said, okay, what kind? He said, well, you're getting an A in chemistry, become a chemical engineer. So off I went, and uh, I obviously changed along the way. So what happens is uh, students pick uh, a major however they end up picking it, um, or their parents pick it for them. They get part of the way through. They take a course in something else, and they say, hey, no, I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. I have to stay an extra year. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'll, I'll do that. So now that the economy is turning around and there are opportunities, people will have a different view of, of college. In my view, the more educated people become, the more opportunities that are open to them in the future and the better it is for the system as a whole. You, you mentioned before, well, you can just as well um, uh, learning a, a, a trade, and that's certainly the very respectable fields. We need people, and they should earn what they earn. The the problem with those uh, working in a trade like that is you have very little upward mobility. I mean, you say, well, I'm going to become an electrician. Uh, you're pretty much an electrician uh, where you right. go to – and, again, I'm not criticizing anybody. That's a, a wonderful – way to do things and you know there's plenty of happiness there understand that but with college grads you have more um options open to you and a greater chance to move uh ahead um the other point you're making about how liberals control things uh, me being a, a conservative i think there are 330 faculty members at my university uh, so far i found two other ones that have a republican position and i face constantly uh, having to deal with this um, uh, overly liberal uh, faculty who uh, insists that their way is the only way for students to uh, learn things, and uh, it is very, very upsetting. Where do you teach? No, I- uh, Stockton University in New Jersey. Real quick, I want Rabbi to respond yeah. real quick, but uh, you know, speaking of the economy, Dr. Butler, uh, you know, there was a new report out today uh, that the job openings have risen to the highest level, and we have manufacturing jobs now at an all-time high. I mean, it just keeps right. getting better and better, and we see all of the things that Trump's doing for the economy. He just saved $23 billion in regulatory costs. I mean, all these yep. various things and cutting back these regulations that were so unnecessary – and put in by a lot of them by the, the Obama administration. We just see all these, you know. And in order to create, in order for him, in order for Trump to had to create this perfect economy that we have now, he had to cut. What was it? Over a thousand Obama regulations or something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, know, that's a. I was just going to say, Roy, that's a a, a good point. You know, um, Trump got into office in January of 2017. He immediately, in February and March, uh, cut nearly a 1,000 regulations. Starting in April of last year, the economy started growing at a 3% annual rate, and we've kept that average uh, since then. So you're right. Um, Getting rid of these counterproductive and growth-stifling regulations uh, that are designed to cure some perceived social injustice 
uh, ended up uh, causing the economy to be in uh, the funk it was in. Right. Uh, Rabbi, uh, I know you want to respond. Go ahead. I know you have thoughts on this. Uh, Regarding the college, there are two aspects. One is uh, the idea that not everybody has to go to college uh, in order to get a good job, especially now we've got these great manufacturing jobs. And when a person on an entry level gets a good job and if they, they do well and it's a good company, they will rise. Yeah, now, it is true that the more you put into education in yeah. a child, generally, uh, the greater opportunity they will have. But not everybody wants to necessarily be in in, 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 in those uh, areas of the economy. Many people right. will be very yeah. happy uh, working like when I grew up. People worked at the Ford plant, the GM plant, at Goodyear, or Pittsburgh Paint and Glass, 3M, places like that. And they did rise from a worker to a foreman. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity to rise, and people can have a very, very nice life. Uh, those that yep. want to have a, a life with greater opportunity, yes, of course. The more, uh, the higher the degree, the greater the, the chance for that. But we were talking about something else, the downside of college, and what many professors are poisoning uh, the kids. And that's something that I just, all parents have to think about before they send their kids to college if they do decide that college is for their kids. College is for some kids, it's not for other kids. But um, you've got to monitor your kids, and you have to be aware that there are many professors out there with an agenda, and they use their professorship and they use their departments and their classroom to brainwash the kids against the very things that the parents love, be it the country, be it their religion. And uh, the parents have to be forewarned, and uh, they got to monitor their kids. And... and, and, uh, I know that the first couple of two, three years that my kid was in college, he, he was conservative, Republican like I was. By the time he graduated, well, they had made him into a big liberal. And um, he stayed that way until about four or five years into the workforce, and slowly, slowly he's coming back. Right, and, and I want you to, you know, I kind of want you to talk about your, your, your new book, which, uh, you know, is, you know, really, you know, goes into detail and puts a lot of things into perspective. It's called Push Back. You know, explain that to the audience a little bit. I mean, I mean, you've lived a, a long, you know, very adventurous and, and uh, you know, amazing life. Um, and, you know, you've written another book once again. So tell us about this a little bit. There are two aspects of the book. First of all, the title, Push Back, means that we do have – a, a role to play. We can push back. We don't have to take everything simply because something is announced from the media or from uh, the pref- uh, for academia or it's announced from government. That doesn't mean we have to accept it lying down. That's one of the good traits that Donald Trump has, which I think we can all learn, learn from. We don't have to accept these things. We have opinions. Well, we're smart people. We're experienced people. We have intuition. Uh, we have a history and uh, we have traditions. So we, we can push back. We don't have to accept things simply because it's, it's delivered from the government or academia. And especially when they say it, quite often they're like cynical. For example, when Obama told the American people that well, we no longer can expect growth over a 2% or we no longer can expect uh, this type of manufacturing opportunities, just like Carter said that America can no longer expect to uh, have great automobiles and maybe they should just be satisfied with uh, tinkering with their computer. This is a sinful thing to do to an individual, to basically say that, you know, you have to accept what we have decided is going to be the ceiling. We've decided that the ceiling is 2% because, listen, they're redistributionists and they're socialists, and in order to 
uh, implement all that, they couldn't. They, they had to have a lot of regulations. And when you have those kind of regulations, you're not going to have a soaring economy. You're probably going to top off at two percent. But it's sinful for leaders to tell people in the country, millions of people, it's not going to get any better, and you've got to learn to live with it. That's very un-American. So for that, we have to push back. The second part of the book has to do with, well, we're pushing back because we stand for something. We have a Judeo-Christian ethos. And I'm not talking here when I say Judeo-Christian about being a holy roller or going to church or going to shul or synagogue every Sunday or Saturday. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about certain civic principles that are found in the Old Testament, the New Testament, Judeo-Christian ethos that, 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 that produce a successful country like America, which are personal responsibility, the idea of, of, of right and wrong, the, the idea of liberty, that more important than fairness is liberty. Life is never going to be fair in the sense that everybody's going to end up with the same. Some people are tall, some are short, some are handsome, some are not handsome, some are musically inclined, some are talented, some are handicapped. What's important, though, is that everybody have liberty. Another very important aspect of the Judeo-Christian ethos, which was introduced here in America, is the idea of local control. Yes, you've got to have some type of central government, but it can't be a centralized society. Local <laughs> control. There are people, and that's what we meant about states' rights, and there are People have different opinions on certain things. So uh, when it comes to things like laws of marriage or divorce, all of these things, the, the, the founding father said that should be every state, every locality should determine these issues based on what its local population feels. The central government is there for, for defense, for an army, local control, because that's the way it was in biblical times too, that there, there, were, yeah. there was tremendous power given to the localities. So when we, I talk about pushing back, we have to push back yeah. against people who are really socialists when they are trying to take away from us the ideas of this Judeo-Christian ethos of liberty, personal responsibility, and uh, right. local control, that we, that we have a say-so in our governance. That's what local control is. We have a say-so v- very, determining very, our destiny. Very, very well said, and very, you know, I halavate. I, I want you to respond. I know you have some quick thoughts. Go ahead. Well, you know, boy, this is. I, I can't really. I don't even know where to really go off of that because it was just kind of a lot of truth, to be honest. Uh, you know, speaking speaking directly about, I guess you know, in, in America specifically, a lot of people claim like you were talking about to to be some sort have some sort of christian uh either christian or uh jewish religion but it seems like a lot of people then turn around and do the opposite which would kind of fight back against what you just said kind of speak on i feel like the number isn't as big as some people think it is the, the number of people just... The, the number, the number of people that would that are, you know, um, that would be classified as a Christian, I guess. You know, I don't know that you're talking about. I, I don't. When I say Judeo-Christian, uh, this was the the philosophy of the founders, none of whom really were big holy rollers. They they believed in divine providence. They did believe in the hand of God. They believed that the scriptures was well divinely inspired. But you don't have to be a real fervent Christian or a real believing. Of Orthodox Jew, but these these are the, these are biblical principles that are I call them more civic 
principles and necessarily, and that's nothing to do with necessarily even going to church. But the idea of rights are from God, not from government. The idea of personal responsibility, accountability, liberty, local control, a, a, a right and a wrong, versus um, socialism or, or, or uh, uh, things of that. So it is true that we have less today uh, in the that, that identify as Christian than we had before. And that's because the media, the culture, the pop culture, demonizes it all the time. Or you have, we had eight years of Obama. During those eight years, basically we had someone with a bully pulpit who, who brainwashed us all the time into believing that somehow we were guilty, um, we were privileged, and that what we had as a founding ideal was, was unfair. And people take this to heart. They listen to their leaders. And if there's no countervailing message to counter that, then, then yes, our side diminishes. So we need people to push back. But you can't push back unless you believe in what you're pushing for. Right, Absolutely right. I'd agree well pretty heavily with that. I, I guess especially something I kind of thought of as you were, as you were uh, speaking there was, do you think that even though, like you were saying, there are less, of people that, you know, would have those um, ideals and beliefs. I, would, would, you, would you push back against the statement if I were to say, even though they may not claim or be aware of their beliefs, that the, even, even the, the, the founding fathers, with the way they implemented this country, a lot of them, even, even people that would claim to be atheists or agnostics, even those people still have fringes and small amounts of you know that clear thinking kind of way of morality and whatnot, I, I would say the majority of the country, even though that they don't claim to be something, still holds on to a morality that they don't even know necessarily where they get it. I would personally relate that to people being made in the image of God. They're just going to have that inherently. Uh, but you could even say that it's because of the, I mean, the founding still founding fathers, the way they set it up still. Alliance today. Would you push back against that or agree with that somewhat? The founding fathers, I don't think that they were agnostics or atheists. They were deists. They weren't holy rollers, and I don't think they got up every day thinking about going to church, but they were deists. They did believe in providence. They did believe in the hand of God. Even Benjamin Franklin, certainly Thomas Jefferson, who were not the, the, the biggest holy rollers, but they always talked about providence and the hand of God. Most Americans do believe in morality. They do believe in right and wrong, but their definition of right and wrong and morality will evolve based on what they hear in schools, what comes down from the courts, what their leaders mm. say. That's why it's important for us to, uh, to be able to say this. But this is still the most religious country, uh, well, at least uh, in the Western world. The United States is the most religious country. We want to do what's yeah. right. We have great respect for the Bible. And um, it's just a miracle that, uh, that the... Uh, that in, in 1776, these men came together who were philosophers and who had read John Locke, and they were, were schooled in the, the, the great philosophers and the, uh, Witherspoon, and, but they were also able to, to marry that, to weld that together with the, with the biblical beliefs. And I think most of this country would, would like to think that what they are doing, about 70% of them would like to think that what they're doing is approved by the Bible. Yeah, wow. Uh, Dan, Perk Dan Perkins, go ahead. Um, I'm listening to this, this, this discussion, fascinated by the, the dialogue, and 
and the discussion of God and, you know, is he there, is he not there? Do the leaders believe in God? Did Obama believe in God? And um, to me it's an interesting discussion because mom and pop out in the the hinterlands, I don't think, talk about those things. I really don't. I, I think they... They get up every morning. They go to work and do their jobs as best they possibly can. They try and love their husbands or wives, try and raise their kids the best way they can based on what they think is the right thing to do, and um, they treat other people fairly. Um, and that's the influence, in my opinion, the influence of the Lord uh, on our society, which still is out there, but it's, it, get, it gets it got incredibly weaker during the Obama administration, the yeah. the reject the rejection of of uh, of God as uh, some being that helped form our country, gave us our value proposition. I mean, and and it's and I agree with the with the rabbi. The, I don't think that these people got up and were were praying every morning, and they and they went to church seven times seven times a week, and. And, and and they may have read their Bibles uh, on a periodic basis, but they were basically good people. They were raised by people to 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 be independent, to to make decisions based on what they thought were right or wrong. And when it came time to write the Constitution and those documents, there was a hand of God in the process, and uh, we had generations and generations of people not only who were born and raised in this country, but immigrated to this country, uh, who wanted to come here because of religious freedom or because of the ability to think freely and to achieve whatever they could achieve. Um, and I think we lost that dramatically. And as the other prof- the college professor was saying about low, un- low employment rates had an adverse effect on the economy and the thinking and college students graduated from college and and just plain not feeling good about yourself regardless of where you were you didn't feel like it was uh, America was was great anymore and that that is the magic of Donald Trump you know when when uh, Mario Como said well you know I think um, America never was really great uh, the pushback was was enormous uh, because he revealed himself as a true Democrat about what many Democrats believe. I think there are people who are who now look at America as the land of opportunity they always believed it was, but we lost our way for an entire generation. Right, and I want to go to I want to go to Dr. Butler, Dr. Michael Butler. Go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, you, you know. Um... You look at, at what uh, principles really really made this country great, um, and you, you look into the uh, look at the fact that you know it took us about 150 years uh, to essentially become number one in, in everything, the biggest economy, the most prosperous nation, um, and that was against countries that were hundreds of years old and some thousands of years old. And the difference, as was brought out in the conversation. Here is um, we did recognize uh, that people had individual freedom and individual responsibility, um, and I think today we've gone away from that, especially under the uh, Obama era, uh, it was more yeah. of a social responsibility than an individual. 
yep, than an individual responsibility. And once that starts happening, once you start um, depending on somebody else for your livelihood and your existence, uh, it just creates uh, it creates problems. Um, yeah. One for the the person that's uh, the entity that's providing, they have to keep providing. And, and if it's the government, of course, they don't have any yeah. money. They only have what they take from people that earned it in the form of, and they take it in taxes. Um, right. And then it creates a problem for the people that are receiving the aid because now they become dependent on it. And with the lack of opportunity that we've seen in the economy, with, in the economy the last 10 years, um, some of these families get stuck uh, for generations on the, the government welfare role. Uh, and it ends up creating uh, problems for everybody. Um and, um, you know, leads to a lot of social problems, too. Um, and I think what Donald Trump is doing, um, you know, by expanding the economy, by uh, creating opportunity for everyone, um, I, I think uh, not just from an economic standpoint, but when people start working and uh, they get self-esteem and they're able to take care of them themselves, it really, I think, will cut down on a lot of social problems. I think... Um, you know, I think back to we talk about Ronald Reagan. I believe it was during his um, 1984 State of the Union speech uh, when he said, look, the economy is, is going strong. I know we went through a severe recession a few years back, but uh, the economy is going strong. I've set up everything. And his words were, go for it. He said, if you're thinking about doing something, you want to try it, take a chance. Now's the time to go for it. And before you know it, all the Americans were saying, hey, you know, I'm going to go for it. And you had people uh, willing to take individual responsibility, willing, willing to uh, take advantage of individual freedom. And when people started going for it, a lot of people were making it. And, uh, you know, we really had good times back in the country. Uh, so getting back to that individual freedom and responsibility, I think, is extremely important. The and idea Valerie, of you were responsibility. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and Valerie, you you know you worked for Ronald Reagan, and you remember those days, obviously. And um, you know there was you know the Reagan days are so similar to the Trump days. Uh, but your your thoughts, Valerie, on this entire thing? I haven't got to you in a long time. I'm sorry. Thank you. No, it's fine. Thank you, Ori. <laughs> um, usually, I just interrupt. I've been listening, though, because no, you're good. The, yeah. the comments have been so interesting. Um, no, I agree. I think, you know, Reagan and, and Trump both brought our country back to the positive ideals um, that, we, that we stand for. And I think, you know, you know Obama and, uh, you know, after all of that time and, and people were so depressed and, you know, actually, Obama was a great thing for the Republican Jewish Coalition, the RJC. I belong to you. A lot of Jewish people became Republicans as a result of him. Um, but, but as far as the um, the mood of the country and the and the attitude of people, entrepreneurs and people that want to be something, do something, change something. Um, I think Reagan brought that back, and I agree 100% that Trump did as well. In addition to that, Trump gave us some chutzpah. You know, he, you know, you sure. saw it in the in the Kavanaugh hearings. I've never yeah. seen um, anybody in the Judiciary Committee stand up like that to senators um, and stand up for themselves. And I think that's one of the things that the Republican Party is missing. 
is that, right. you know, that Trump brought back. Is, um, right. Just like you're saying, push back the, the title of the book. Right. I, I agree right. with that. And I think that's what's giving us energy and giving us, um, uh, you know, the party is coming back together because of that. You know, leader, when you I, talk about personal responsibility, that, well, just one oh, second. That's why we shouldn't call these things entitlements, like welfare is entitlement or food stamps or housing. No one's entitled to be supported. Everyone's entitled to um, be allowed to pursue happiness, in other words, to pursue a job. But you're not entitled yep. to take money from another citizen or have another citizen work in your behalf, that have another citizen forfeit maybe 50 or, or, or 40% of the income that he could be using for his family that he works for and transfer it over to someone else. You're not entitled to do that. When my great-grandfather came to this country, he was 14 years old. He didn't know English. He didn't have a penny. He didn't come here in order to get welfare or food stamps or housing. He didn't feel entitled to that. He came to America because of the opportunity. And uh, we're not a, 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 a welfare state. We're a republic. And I think this name entitlement militates against the whole concept of personal responsibility. If you believe in personal responsibility, how could you ever conceive of yourself as entitled to be supported by other people, especially if you're not sick, you're not handicapped. So we should change that. But that, that but what the Obamas of the world want to do is to basically say, you're entitled because of this grievance, you're entitled because of that grievance, you're entitled now because of white privilege, you're entitled now because you're oppressed and um, not only is that bad for a country, it's bad for the individual, it's toxic for a soul, and it takes a person that could become an adult and be responsible, and it keeps them like as a dependent child. So we've got to get rid of this word entitlement. But, Rabbi, last night on, on all the major news networks on the liberal side, the discussion about the caravan of 4,000 illegals coming to the United States, I counted at least six different pundits who are using the word that they're entitled to come to the United States. No, no, they're entitled no, no. to come to the United States. And I don't think they are. They're not entitled. The government is obligated for its citizens to protect its citizens from potential diseases, from people coming in um, who uh, might not be able to support themselves. You can't have open borders. You have, to, you have an obligation, your citizens, from criminals that could be coming in, jihadists that could be coming in, drugs that could be coming in, drug gangs, things like that. They're, they have no entitlement. This is, not a, this is a country that has borders. It's sovereign. We're not citizens of the world. This is not a country of the world. This is a specific sovereign country. No one's entitled to come here. What we are is we have to have a government that's obligated to protect its citizens from diseases, criminals, drugs, and all the things that can happen when you have open borders. Criminal. Lead, yeah. leaders, leaders of blacks for Trump, go ahead. Leaders of blacks for Trump. Michael, go ahead. Well, hello. How's everybody doing? I'm glad to be here with you. Um, well, concerning our schooling, uh, the, our white European Gentile brothers and black brothers here of America, we're going to have to start teaching, teaching ourselves because in the colleges, they're deliberately um, training our kids. Like the Bible said, if we did not destroy the Canaanites back then, they would teach our children to rebel against us. And that is what has happened. They are the teachers, and they are destroying us. And they're getting us away from the concept of Psalms 82.6 by taking the Bible out of the schools, which says in the Bible, have you not read you are gods and children of the Most High? And to be a god, you are to be a creator. 
But to be a creator, you have to have an incentive to create. And the incentive to create is to make money. If I'm not going to make money off of it, why would I create it? You understand? So that's, they want you to live in communism where these people get to uh, live off of your money and the government uh, has all the ideas so all of the buildings in Russia look the same because there's nobody else there's nobody else creating. So we have to get back to the concept of being free to build and free to create and free to make money. So that's what President Trump is doing as the great Cyrus that he is. Because Cyrus was, his job was to deliver the people of God out of the hands of the people who live off of your life, like the Egyptians and the Babylonians who lived off of the slavery of other people and making us work at 100% tax called slavery, or today they call it communism. So Cyrus came and freed us from that so we would have the right to go build for ourselves, create for ourselves, make money for ourselves according to our work. So that's how God has it made. He wants, he wants us to be a little him. And as a little him, we are to be creators because he is the creator. So to imitate him, we have to create. But you have to have the incentive, which is to make money. You call it capitalism. I call it theocracy, which is rulership by the laws of God. All of the laws of God are designed to protect God from God, which is protect brothers from each other. Okay, I know you're God, but your brother God too. Thou shalt not move his landmark. That's why all through the Bible gives you the thou shalt not. And then when you look at the border, like Isaiah 60:18 says, fill me a wall great and high to be a border unto my land, and all nations will come and help you build. And Deuteronomy chapter 2 is the law. You shall not enter into your brother's land because it is his land. Ask his permission before you enter into his border. That is the law. Even God said in Exodus 19.12, he said, put a border around my, my land, and if anybody comes through without permission, shoot them through. God <laughs> said that. So I think when, 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 when Trump said build a wall, because I, I don't know if y'all know, but I was the first one to make the chant, build that wall, build that wall, because they asked me, what do I think about it? Him to build, you're in every you're in every movie. Trump rally, always on TV. You always make headline news, so I mean you do all the chants. Yeah, well, my my my, my white Republican brother was a little afraid to chant at first, so we had to go in there and train them to go ahead and dance and sing and have a ball. And, and Trump is funny as hell. Why are you not laughing at this? So when I'm in there, I'm crying. I'm having a ball because he's he's funny as heck to me, but he's. <laughs> He's saying everything absolutely right. So then my brother started joining on. So now when you go to the rally, there is no sitting down. I remember when the first rally I went to, everybody was sitting down. We were the only ones standing up, going off. And Trump kept walking over to us and talking to us. He was, we were the first ones he, he made the remark to, give me a chance. I'm going to help you. What do you have to lose? He was talking directly to me. And I said, I'm going to give you a chance. And he said, thank you. Right. I, I got the video where he did that. So there you all go. I'm telling you, this man here is exactly what the Bible says in Isaiah 45, 1 through 15, which says, Cyrus will come and deliver the children 
of God out of the hands of the Babylonians, and that this man here will not only deliver us, but he will be called the anointed of God, and he will be called our deliverer. God said that. And guess what? Cyrus was absolutely a Gentile. He was a Persian. And if you look at Isaiah 13, it says the Persians are the Medes. When you look up the word Medes, it says Medi. And when you look up Medi, Genesis 10, 1 through 5, it says Medi. Hey, Rabbi, Rabbi, you want to respond to this? I've not listened to this. It's a great discussion, but it's now midnight. My carriage is waiting. I'm here on the East Coast. It's midnight. Got to get up at 6 o'clock. I loved it. it great guest, Rory. Great show. And uh, I, 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 uh, I applaud what this, this nice gentleman has just said. And uh, I enjoyed it. We'll do it again. Absolutely. I'll have you back on soon. And please, Rabbi, promote your book where people can find your website, uh, where people can find your stuff, all that good stuff. Uh, tell everyone, the audience. All right. Thank you. We had a, it, was, it was great. Talk to you later. Wait, uh, yeah, uh, Rabbi, Rabbi. Yes. Your web, your where can people find your book and your website? Where can people find buy your book? Well, the book is is, is on Amazon, and uh, my website is Caucus for America, caucusforamerica.com, dot com. But it's better to buy the book on Amazon. You'll get a much better price. Okay, and you you are, yeah, Caucus for America. That's another big thing you're doing. So we'll have you back on soon. Real pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Uh, God bless you, sir. Thank you. And thank you to your, your co-host, Valerie, right? Yes. Yes, yes. thank you. Very nice. nice. To meet you, Rabbi. All right, take care. Shalom, shalom. Bye-bye, everybody. Absolutely. Cheers. Wow, great guest. Um, please, um, you know, stay on uh, real quick. I... Um, you know, this is this is Dan. I want to ask you something real quick. This is something that, uh, you know, we just saw two Republicans today in Minnesota. Uh, well, it was a new report out uh, getting attacked, uh, and this is all due to, in my opinion, speeches like this. About that. You cannot be civil a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. But until then, the only thing that the Republicans seem to recognize and respect is strength. And you heard how the Republican members, led by Mitch McConnell, the president, really demeaned the confirmation process. So there you go. I mean, you know, we have, and we have people like Eric Holder and Dan, you were talking about this the other day about how you were writing in all these major headlines, someone was going to get hurt on the right. And when you have speeches like what Hillary Clinton said and what Eric Holder said and what, you know, other people have said on the left and like Maxine Waters, you know, this is, this is dangerous territory. We just saw two Republican candidates get attacked on the campaign trail. Um, I, I, yes. And, and I, I said in that, it's an article that's on, you can get on Newsmax. I said in the, in the article 
I said if the Democrats lose the midterm, meaning they yeah. don't take the House, yeah. and they're not going to take the Senate, that, 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 that's almost an impossibility. But if they lose the House, I look back to what happened the day after Donald Trump was elected. The, 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 the response of the, of the liberal Democratic base, they were in the streets. I have said and in writing, and you and I talked about it, that, and, and I think there's an important distinction I want to make in just a second. I said in the article that I expect people to be killed by the left if the if the Democrats do not win the midterm elections. Now you're using a word you're using a, you're using a word that I don't think is 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 um, is proper. And I, when I mean proper, it's not properly descriptive. Descriptive. You you talk about assaulted or attacked. That these people were attacked. These these people were physically injured, physically assaulted. Their bodies were attacked by these by these people who were so enraged uh, that they had to physically strike out and strike these people on the Republican side. And I, I don't know whether you how what, what your history is, but we had an example in the Senate prior to the Civil War, where Charles Sumner was caned almost to death by another senator who had physically attacked him. Attack is the word. Assault is the word. Physically assaulted, physically attacked. We cannot minimize that because if we don't, I told you on last night's show about the veteran who was in a wheelchair in, in uh, Washington State at the protest, and he was spat upon, and they threw chemicals on him in his wheelchair. We are we have escalated. Maxine Walters, in my opinion, is somewhat calm relative to the people who were who were assaulted, physically assaulted, in in Minnesota today uh, by people from. The Democratic Party, or representing the Democratic Party, who wanted to bring bodily harm to put that person out of commission and their ability to support their candidate who was running in Minnesota. I, I have great fear that it's going to escalate much higher than that. Right. No, I I hear you, and uh, you know, Dr. Bussler. I mean, you you know, you see this sort of stuff, and you know, I mean, what what the kind of stuff that's going on on campuses, and you know, uh, I mean, it's all it's all over the place, and uh, it's 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 an attack, and, and yeah. we have all of it. it's scary. Yeah, you, you know, when um, when you don't have any good ideas, uh, and you uh, don't want to engage in a healthy debate. Because uh, you know your ideas are uh, very weak. Uh, the only thing left for you to do is to start making a whole lot of noise and try to intimidate the other side. Um, and that's what they're trying to do. Um, and you're you're right; it is escalating. I, I'm just shocked that uh, the police sort of stand by and allow this stuff to happen. I mean, there are clearly people breaking the law, uh, committing probably an aggravated assault at the very least. 
Um, and the police seem to stand by and, and sort of let this let this happen. Um, yeah. And yeah. as long as they do, it's just it's just going to get worse. And I, you know, you talk about some of the things that have already happened, even the things that happened today. Um, right. And uh, it, it certainly isn't going to get any any better. We have three weeks until the election. Uh, the the only way that we're going to be able to to stop this. Uh, is to uh, hand the Democrats a resounding defeat, um, which I think is very possible. Um, and I still stick to my original uh, uh, forecast that I gave months ago that um, I believe that the Republicans are going to hang on to the House, and I believe they end up with increasing the majority in the Senate, probably to 57 or 58 senators, and there's a chance it could go as high as nine, as 60 um, and I think once that happens, uh, the Democrats and the left are going to, uh, again, feel like uh, no matter how much effort they put into it, they lost again. You know, they, they felt that way in 2010 when they lost the House of Representatives. Now, President Obama was personally popular, so he did win in 2012. But then in uh, uh, 2014, uh, they ended up uh, losing the Senate. Uh, in 2016, they lost the presidency, uh, and I think if they're handed a resounding defeat in 2018, um, I think they're going to start to look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, uh, we're losing, we keep losing, uh, this isn't working. Uh, the old leaders that are advocating uh, these uh, resist positions um, right. are not the people to be leading us. And I think maybe that it would be good for the Democratic Party to get right. uh, a new group of leaders along the line of uh, John Kennedy. And, you know, even though uh, I think Bill Clinton personally was a, a, a terrible person and some of the things he did, uh, he was a good president. Uh, and he uh, too was, recognized. Yeah. Yep. He recognized, um, you know, in his State of the Union speech in 1997, uh, I believe he said the exact words were, I'm not sure what speech it was, but the exact words were, uh, the era of big government is over. Uh, and he lowered the capital gains tax. Uh, he held the line on spending. There were, there were four years we actually had a surplus in the budget, first time since uh, the 1950s. Um, and um, the Democratic Party at least stood for something at that point. They're still more socially oriented than the Republicans, and that's okay. Um, but they uh, stuck to American principles. So I think if the Democrats get shellacked in this election, right. which I hope happens, I think they're right. going to take a look in the mirror and maybe uh, redefine the party. Right. Yeah, but, and, 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 go ahead, Dan. I have, I have to jump in there. Um, I, I think that's unrealistic. Yeah, that's an unrealistic because – What's going on? You've got the Chuck Schumers and the Nancy Pelosi's and the and and Uncle Joe and all these old white men and women. The new leadership of the Democratic Party is Cortez out of New York, socialist. Exactly. They're not going back yeah. to the middle. They're going to go further left. And the expectation yeah, I, that I they get their ass kicked, they get their ass kicked down. in November. They're going to they're going to repent and go back. No, they're going to get deeper and deeper which is going to cause them to shrink to a smaller and smaller party. Valerie. 
I agree 100%. And that's exactly, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was thinking of Cortez as well. And um, I think the old, when the old guard is gone, the new guard's going to be twice as bad. And the egos of the Democratic Party are too big to take, to, you know, go and, um, and go rethink what should they do to make their party better. I just think they're going to double down and, and make it worse. I'm sorry to yeah, you know, negative. They believe yeah, that the right. rest of the country is idiots, and they're the only ones that know how to really do this. Go ahead, Dr. You, you know, I, I, I was just going to say that that makes a lot of sense, and based on how the Democrats have reacted in the past, it's a, a, a definitely a logical conclusion. The, the thing is, uh, they've been trying this, and they're losing. Um, and you say, well, this is they, they want more control, and that, that's all true, but it's, it's they're, the they're losing with that. Identity. Yeah, and uh, they, they keep doing it over and over, and they keep yeah. losing. You know, I, I, remember, I remember this happened in uh, 1972 when uh, yeah. George McGovern uh, was as liberal as he can get. He got shellacked, and the party realized, you know, we're not going to uh, move forward if we keep going this far to the left. Now, they'll always be to the left of Republicans, and that's okay. The Republicans lean right. The Democrats lean slightly left. They should lean slightly left. If that's what happened, that's that's okay. It keeps the country uh, balanced. But they're so far to the left now, and they keep losing. At some point, they're going to have to say, if we want to win, these guys, uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris uh, and uh, Ortez, um, the views that they're putting, Bernie Sanders, the views that they're putting forth um, are not the views consistent with the majority of Americans. Now, it, it made sense to them because the last decade we've had such poor economic growth and there's so many people left behind. But as we move forward into better growth and they keep losing, there'll be fewer people left behind. And if they're going to survive, they're going to have to uh, move more toward the center. Right. Absolutely. Hey, Roy. Very well said. Very well said. Go ahead, Dan. I, I agree Let's with ahead, you, Robert. but I don't think they think logically like you're discussing i'm sorry to say <laughs> i think their whole platform right. is resistance and get rid of the other guy instead of how can we make our party better and what ideas do we have and i think that's the downfall of the whole of the whole party yeah dan go ahead yeah i i, I um Roy, using using this last moment of your show to make an announcement an important announcement in two weeks, I will be running commercials for the Republican Party for the midterm election on 562 stations across the country. Wow. Very impressive. Out of my own pocket. I love it. I love it. I, I salute are you. you. Are you choosing specific candidates, or are you doing blanket no. Republicans? That's dedication. That's it's, dedication it's, right there. God bless you. True patriot. It's it, to, to talk about the, the concept is when you walk into the booth to pour the lever or you check the box, ask yourself this one question. Are you better off today than you were two years ago? If you are, Vote Republicans, <laughs> right? Because we stand for you. And then there's another tagline, but it'll be it'll be in 560 markets in about 10 days. 
Uh, and wow. it's going to be. Oh, go, go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Now I want to ask you something. Keep going. I was going to say we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to go over a two day period and saturate bomb 560 stations with commercials. Wow. I'll tell you, Dan. That's I a, think that is going to be that's going to be extremely effective. I uh, and you're, you're so. right. If people just ask themselves that that question, um, the Republicans are going to win by uh, a landslide. Um, you may recall Reagan. Reagan used that himself against Carter. He said, "Are you better off now than you were four years ago?" And it was extremely That's effective right. for for him. So I yeah. think I think it's perfect. Perfect. Right. Um, okay. You're a real I patriot do, for do, doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to shift topics a little bit. Please, uh, we have just have a few minutes left, but a very important thing came out today. Two things, and I know Dan, you've written about this. Uh, especially for the big papers you've uh, done in the last couple of days. Uh, the, Fu- the Fusion, G- first of all, Fusion GPS founder Glenn Simpson has pleaded the fifth uh, before the House investigators. Now, that's scary right there. That guy doesn't even want to talk. They, there is something that really has to be done here, and I really hope they take action on this guy because this guy is as guilty as can be. He's going to have to at some point – I don't know if he'll get immunity, but maybe that's an option. I mean, what, what are your thoughts, Dan? Well, first of all, he has the right under the Constitution to refuse to testify to incriminate himself. So, so he's not doing anything wrong. No, I know, but it's still, it, it's still a little – the guy has been very uh, standoffish. He's been very oppositional in a sense uh, in certain things. And, you know, pleading the fifth, I mean, just not being open. I mean, I know it. I know it's your right, uh, but there's a lot of things that this guy's hiding, and we know it, right? Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I think you know, that you're, you're, going to, you're going to get an opportunity to, to eat away at him around the periphery because now that he's said he's not going when, – when somebody – I'm not talking about a legal precedent here, Roy. I'm just talking about how people perceive – when somebody testifies on television or behind and it's reported and they say he refused to testify under the basis of the Fifth Amendment that he may incriminate himself, the word that he's saying when he's saying, I may incriminate myself, Americans, by and large, assume that he's guilty, that he's done something wrong. So he can do that. But there's a price to pay. And what will happen right. is that I believe that we got everybody sitting on why Mueller isn't releasing anything uh, before the election. Supposedly, the Justice Department has a rule that says you can't influence an election, although Comey did that. Uh, now the story is that, that he's holding off until after the election because he didn't have anything and he's got to report something. And as a result of, of uh, if, the, if the Democrats lose, don't get back control, Trump is, Trump is this, this vote in November is a referendum on Trump's agenda. If, if the, the Democrats lose and the Republicans win, it's going to be an enormous amount of pressure for Mueller to release. And if he has nothing to release that shows that there was any collusion on the part of the Trump campaign or the president, with the influence of the Russians, the Democrats are in deep, deep crap. And that's why they're not releasing it now. And so right. when that happens, when that happens, 
then everybody's job is now, who's part of this deal, is in jeopardy because they got no cover because I said to you on many weeks ago that I think that what's going on here is that right. this whole stalling tactic on the technique on Kavanaugh was to try and push the confirmation process till after the midterms, not knowing yes, whether right. they're going to win the midterms or not, but to push it past it. Same thing with Mueller; they want it past the midterms so they can find out what happens if they lose the midterms. So what if Mueller says Trump didn't do anything? Uh, they didn't. They didn't pay a price. So. It's all posturing and trying to to uh, manipulate the situation to their advantage as much as they can. But but you know I, I, I again I I've said on many radio shows and the and television in the last week the Democrats yeah. are absolute idiots. They do not right. under look at look at look at what Pocahontas did. Pocahontas yeah. she's one 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 thousandth to the twenty fourth power. And look at American and look at all of the. Do- and look at all of the government abuse. I mean, you, you have out today a Treasury employee that's accused of leaking confidential financial documents of Manafort to BuzzFeed over a year time frame. I mean, and this is just one of many leaks. And all this – I mean, and even from in the Trump White House, we have different leaks coming out. I mean, this is scary stuff. Yeah, but the most important message of the day, in my opinion – is that Donald Trump said to all cabinet officers, cut your budgets by 5%. Right, right. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you, if I can just add real – Yeah, go ahead. If I can just add something real real quick, Um, you know, the deficit for uh, fiscal uh, 18, which ended the end of September, was reported – was up about $100 billion over – uh, last year's and, uh, you know, everybody, uh, the mainstream media got all over Republicans uh, for allowing that to happen. <clears throat> um, frankly, I was surprised that that's all it was. I mean, considering how much uh, Trump spent on rebuilding the military over $700 billion, as I recall, for two years, uh, and the fact that he cut taxes, uh, you would expect the deficit to be even even larger. And a couple weeks uh, ago on the, the show, um, I said, Look, uh, I thought after the elections, the next thing President Trump is going to attack is government spending. The reason the deficit grew, uh, the federal government took in more tax revenue through the nine months in um, 2018 than they did in 2017. So they took in more revenue. The problem was spending went way up. Now, some of it was for the uh, defense spending, the military. But so I said, the next thing Trump is going to tackle is he's going to get government spending down and he's going to get this deficit down. Well, uh, he came out today saying, look, all my departments, this is not like the Democrats. When you say you're going to cut spending, well, we were going to have a 5% increase. We're only going to have a 3% increase. So look, we cut spending 2%. Uh, no, <laughs> Trump said, we're going to, we're going to really cut spending by 5%. So he will yeah. start working on government spending, get it down, and the deficit down too. And I, I do, you know, I do have that clip of him in the meeting today, um, you know, with his cabinet officers and all his people talking about what you just uh, discussed, Doctor Bustler. It's a long clip, um, but I will, I will play it tomorrow because it's, it's really long and we only have a few okay. minutes left. But I do, I do want to play something, uh, Dan and, and, and Dr. Bustler. I'm sure you've been following this, Valerie, as well. 
about the Turkish reporter that went missing. Uh, here's President Trump's words earlier today. I just want to find out what's happening. In fact, Secretary of State Pompeo is going to be back uh, probably late tonight or early tomorrow morning. He went to Turkey. He went all over. Uh, but he spent a lot of time with the Crown Prince, and uh, he's going to have a full report. I'm not giving cover at all. Uh, with that being said, Saudi Arabia has been a very important ally of ours in the Middle East. Uh, we are stopping Iran. We're not trying to stop. We're stopping Iran. We went a big step when we took away that ridiculous deal that was made by the previous administration. The Iran deal, which was uh, $150 billion and $1.8 billion in cash. What was that all about? And uh, they are an ally. We have other very good allies in the Middle East. But if you look at Saudi Arabia, they're an ally and they're a tremendous purchaser of not only military equipment, but other things. When I went there, they committed to purchase $450 billion worth of things and $110 billion worth of military. Those are the biggest orders in the history of this country, probably the history of the world. I don't think there's ever been any order for $450 billion. And you remember that day in Saudi Arabia where that commitment was made. So they're an important ally, but I want to find out what happened, where is the fault, and we will probably know that by the end of the week. But Mike Pompeo is coming back. We're going to have a long talk. We're talking about a man who lived across the river in, in Virginia. Why not send the FBI in to figure all this out? Well, he wasn't a citizen of this country, for one thing. And we're going to determine that. And you don't know whether or not we have, do you? Well, I, I, no, but do you know whether or not we've sent the FBI? Uh, you sent the FBI. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? Have you, well, asked, like for to, have you asked for this audio, video uh, intelligence that the Turks supposed We have to asked have. for it if it exists. We have, have asked for it. Yeah. But you we've it. asked for it if it exists. Are you surprised that they haven't turned it over? No, uh, I'm not sure yet that it exists. Probably does, possibly does. Uh, I'll have a full report on that from Mike when he comes back. That's one of the things I... Very, that's going to be the first question I ask. Okay, so we have about four minutes, but uh, first of all, Dan, I want to go to you real quick. I believe this was an entire setup. I don't believe King Solomon had anything to do with it, but I think there's there's something there's something very fishy here. What are your thoughts? What did I say last night when we talked about this last night? I asked a question after everybody said something. I said. Who cares? I ask you the same question. Who cares? And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that. As I said last night, human life is worth something. But in the relative scheme of things, of what this president's trying to do in a Middle East policy to disarm Iran and create a more stable environment and economic opportunity. For the world yeah. in that part of the world, yeah, one life yeah. <laughs> compared to the number of people that are dying every day in the, in right. the Middle East, one right. life is not going to change the world. And so, when right. I say to you, "Who cares?" Right. Are, are the Democrats hollering about it? No. Nope. Are no, the world leaders hollering about it? No. No. Who cares? But you know, we will. We will at some point, hopefully. You know. Uh, get to the bottom of it. I mean, uh, Dr. Buxley, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, I want to see all the facts before everybody starts jumping to conclusions. And I'll tell you, Dan made a, a very good point. Uh, look, look, you don't want to see anything happen to anybody. 
Uh, it's a journalist, uh, so you know the media is going to be particularly concerned. But you look at the, the, the thousands of lives that are saved right. because of the alliances we have with Saudi Arabia. Um, right. And look, they did something wrong to a journalist. If they did, wait till we get the facts. If they right. did, we'll figure some kind of appropriate action. I mean, but could, you can't blow up anybody. an entire relationship. Yeah, it could yeah you can't anybody. blow up like, an entire relationship. Exactly. It could have been somebody that gun rose, like Trump said. It could have been some madman. It could have been somebody from a different country that was sent there to do this. I mean, this could have nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. This is this. About Valerie, you're a radical Islamic, you know, expert. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, since you brought that up, um, it's been widely reported that he was a Muslim Brotherhood member, and well, yeah, um, you know, if you're going to talk about that versus Saudi Arabia, then you've got, you know, they're they're against each other to start with. Um, and yeah. I think, as you guys were saying before. You know, the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia is much too important um, to, to destroy it because of this, uh, this event, particularly if this guy was a Muslim Brotherhood member and had done um, some kind of other nefarious actions um, that have been reported. I, I don't know. Like you said, we have to get the facts first. Um, but I think with regard to Iran, Saudi Arabia is too, too important. Um, Saudi Arabia is helping Israel. It's you know they're they're helping to create coalitions within the Middle East against Iran, and those are the big picture that is that has uh, a lot more importance than as Dan said you know than one person. Yeah. Right, absolutely. We are we are about out of time. Um, last thing I do want to ask Dan real quick if he's been following this like thirty seconds. Uh, there was breaking news today, Dan, that the FBI raided the Puerto Rico offices uh, after mm-hmm. Trump was talking about their corruption. Have you, have you written about this, or have you uh, gotten into this in depth at all? I haven't written about it, but I, I, I've, been, I've been studying this whole uh, corruption issue, and uh, it, it is a, it's a problem. There was an, an, Puerto Rico has that, been that a mayor. corrupt country. Yeah. What? It's been a corrupt country for decades. I mean, it's it's one of the most corrupt countries in the world. I mean, the the yeah. graft and the waste of money has just been phenomenal, right. considering right. what we've given to that country. Um, so the the whole idea of of looking into the corruption and what's happening with money and all those things are very important uh, because because the people are the ones who are being adversely affected by the corruption of the government itself. Absolutely. Well said, well said. Um, we are out of time with Dr. Bussler. Uh, please uh, promote uh, uh, where people can find your stuff. Uh, okay, so the best place to find it, uh, I've got a Facebook page called Funding Democracy, the Economics of Freedom. So if you just put the search Funding Democracy in Facebook while you're on or just facebook.com forward slash Funding Democracy. Absolutely, and now you uh, are a contributor to uh, our new uh, media empire, the Next Gen USA, and we will be doing yep. a lot of stuff on there, which we're really excited about. And uh, Dr. Yep. Bustler, you're always a fantastic guest, and uh, we love having you. And uh, we'll have you back on uh, very soon. Right. And thank you. I'm on the East Coast too, so I'm signing off. Good night, everyone. Okay.
All right. Sleep well. Good night. Um, Dan Perkins, where people can find you, danperkins.guru, correct? Yes, sir. Everything Excellent. and anything you want to know about Dan Perkins is there. And uh, we, lo- we love you, Dan, and uh, you're going to be a big part of the Next Gen USA. we got a lot to look forward to. And as always, man, it's uh, a pleasure uh, having you on, and uh, we will talk very soon, my friend. Thank you. Have a good evening. All right, Bye. man. Have, have a good night. Bye. Thanks. Miss Valerie Greenfeld, go ahead and promote whatever you got. Thank you. Um, my book is BackyardJihad.com. You can get it on Amazon.com. And our company is SkyRaceSecurity.com. If, if um, anybody is interested in um, making their property, their employees, um, their, their families safer. Excellent. And I do want to mention real quick a statistic we were talking about earlier about leftist violence and hate. Uh, the rap sheet has reached 600 different uh, incidences of violence and harassment. Wow. Uh, what a giant number. Uh, but I wanted to say that that is Oh my God! We will talk about that, you know, more tomorrow. And there's certain things, like always, that I did not get to, uh, that I will get to tomorrow. Um, as always, I want to thank you, uh, all my audience, uh, my amazing guests, um, you know, my sponsors, um, you know, and my co-hosts. It's uh, it, it's a real pleasure, and uh, this show is growing way faster than anticipated. And we are all having a great time, and uh, you know it's uh, it's been a really fun adventure. Um, please visit the Donald J Trump Store dot com. Again, that's the Donald J Trump Store dot com. Visit getyourappbuilt.com. dot com. Again, again, that's getyourappbuilt.com. dot com. You can also visit RorySodder TV. And you can also visit our new media site that we just put up, the next, N-E-X-Gen, G-E-N-U-S-A dot com. And uh, we will be doing a lot of our stuff uh, from there. And we have so many things that uh, we are putting together uh, for the site that we are excited to share with all of you. Uh, you can find our show, um, just to, to name a few places, uh, Radio Public, Blurberry, iHeart, Stitcher, CastBox, Player.fm, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn. We are all over the place. Like I said, we are now downloadable in 17 countries. Um, it's been, God, it's, it's unbelievable. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, thank you to everybody. I mean, this has been a fantastic show. We got so much addressed tonight. Um, have a great night. Uh, God bless all of you, and uh, we will see you tomorrow. Uh, cheers. Good night.